welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. So the season is over, the racing is done, and this year, instead of trying to stumble our way through talking about cyclocross, although I promise we might have some cyclocross covered later in the season, as Amy and Lauren are going to be on the ground for a couple races, so they might chime in with an episode or two, and we may still all get together, but... What we're going to do this off-season is actually a series of long-form interviews. Myself, Amy Lauren-Jones, Matt Deneef even, Gracie Elvin, and Tilda, well, everyone. Everyone in freewheeling got involved to record some long-form interviews for everybody. We have some incredible guests coming up this off-season. I won't spoil it for you. You can check in every week to see who we have on, but... It's going to be really fun, and I hope everybody enjoys it. We want everyone to kind of get to know a lot of people that we maybe chatted with over the year or got audio audio diaries from or some up-and-coming riders. We've also got some management, uh, world tour team management, and some other non-road cycling related stuff. So it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for for the off-season and what we've got in store for everybody. Before we dive into today's episode, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. One of the great things about Zwift is the massive social community that they have on there. There's a ton of people who are really excited about Zwift, and that means that there's a bajillion group rides. I mean, you can log on to Zwift any time of day or night, and there will be a group ride going on. And if you join that group ride, I guarantee you'll make a friend. Everybody is really, really welcoming, and it's a community that makes it easy to stay motivated by training beside others who are as enthusiastic as you are. So... Find your next best friend on Zwift, and thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. Today, for the first of our long-form interviews, I chatted with Taylor Wiles about her bid for the Olympics in Tokyo, the disappointment of finding out she hadn't made the team, and then the further disappointment of finding out that she had iliac artery endofibrosis and how she went about treating that. Taylor and I also chat about being gay in the Peloton and how when she first came out, people didn't believe her. So I really hope you enjoyed this chat with Taylor. She is my best friend. (laughs) So it was really fun to talk to her and kind of get her story out there. I think that she's one of the most inspirational people that I've ever known. And I just hope that more people become fans of her after hearing her talk. So without further ado, Taylor Wiles. All right, so I'm here with Taylor Wiles to talk about, well, tons of stuff. Taylor, hello. Hello, Abby. How you doing? I'm doing good. Sorry, I just let everybody know that you're my bestie, but I just have to get it out there. I think they know. I think they do. I don't know if we're secretive about it. Probably not. Although it is a conflict of interest, probably, but that's fine. (laughs) But those are the most fun. Who doesn't love a conflict of interest? I don't know anyone who doesn't love a conflict of interest. Yeah, this is true. So you are currently at home in California, recovering from iliac artery endofibrosis surgery, correct? That is correct. I'm about, I think maybe 12 weeks now post, actually maybe a little bit more. It's been, yeah, I had the surgery on the 8th of June. So uh, yeah, I think about three months out. So 
I want to talk about that because next week we're going to be hearing from Kat, who is a physio in Drona and has kind of been pioneering a new way to handle the iliac artery endofibrosis that is getting more and more prevalent among professional cyclists, or at least now that we know it exists, people are actually testing for it and discovering that they have it. Um, but I want to talk about a couple other things with you first. And I think that we will start, I want to start with, let's see, there's a couple touchy subjects. <laughs> let's start with, um, how you got into cycling, because I feel like a lot of people know you, a lot of people know about you, but I kind of want to hear about your, your pathway into cycling. Cause you started with soccer and it's not, we see a lot of Nordic skiers or runners kind of transition into cycling a lot of speed skaters, but soccer doesn't tend to be, or football for those in the UK, doesn't tend to be a gateway sport to cycling. It's true. Yeah. I kind of, um, I grew up playing soccer, like from the time I can remember, like, I really don't remember a time I wasn't playing soccer. Um, and I loved it and wanted to be the next Mia Hamm because grew up in like the era of the 99ers and just loved her and Brandy Chastain and all those women who were like incredible, um, when they won the world cup that year. Um, and I tried really hard, but it just wasn't quite good enough um, at the soccer. And I thought about playing in college because I had I had gotten scholarships to go to some smaller schools. Um, and I could have played uh, at a smaller school. But then I also had the dream of going to medical school. Because um, of Grey's Anatomy. Well, you know, I am a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. And it's very realistic, of course. So, of course, yeah. I want my life to be like that. No, totally. (laughs) Yeah. And I, medical school kind of, um, the idea of going to medical school kind of trumped my idea of going to smaller school and playing soccer because I got a full ride scholarship at an academic school that actually had a very good medical school. So I decided to stop playing soccer and, and to go to school and to follow that dream. And in my first year, end of my first year of of university um I started dating somebody who was a big cyclist and I had never even heard of cycling I had no idea really like I didn't know that that was something that people did let alone like professional racing was even a thing so of course I started riding a bike just um kind of work on the freshman 15 (laughs) but I fell in love with it like right away. I think I, I got my first bike and did my first race like two weeks later. Cause I'm super competitive also. Um, surprise, surprise. So I was like, people race, like it's a thing. Um, cause I always did running races and stuff too. I ran track and, um, just coming from like an athletic background, of course I wanted to compete in some way. So did my first race two weeks after I got my bike, got my ass actually I was gonna say you won it right (laughs) no no it was not pretty um it was like 60 miles and I think the furthest I'd ever ridden was 14 miles so it was (laughs) it was it was a pretty big transition I did finish it but I finished it and I remember laying in the middle of a parking lot just being like what was that (laughs) what's that but I loved it I loved it um and then I just yeah I kind of kept pursuing it. And I think a year later I started racing with the national team because I got super lucky, um, with a really good coach who snuck me onto the 
basically it was the U23 national, well, it was the, you actually, it was the like under 19, everybody I was, went on this trip with was under 19 because they were going to junior worlds. Mm. And um, he somehow snuck me on this trip. I was, tw- I turned 21 on the trip. It was the first time I'd ever gone to Europe. Um, I was with like Corinne and Katie Antonow and um, some of those girls and they were all babies. And I mean, I was still a baby too. In my mind, I was 21 then. Um, yeah. But he stuck on that trip somehow. And then that kind of um, was the trajectory from there. I got onto a, a professional, like a U.S. professional team after that. And then, yeah, then medical school kind of took a back seat. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, you're, you didn't go, you didn't play soccer in college to, for the full ride for medical school, but then you didn't finish college because you found cycling. Yeah, definitely one of those. Uh, Yeah. So, I I mean, I do have like some regrets about that for sure, because I literally am like five credits away from finishing my degree. And my granddad says he won't, um, he won't leave this planet till I finish. So it's actually just a way to keep my granddad alive. I'm like, I mean, that's a great, that's a great way to, yeah. I don't see. I'm like, I'll finish it. I'll finish it in a few years. You got to, got to keep kicking. He just turned 90. So he's got to, he's got to stay around. Yeah. Okay. Shifting back on track. So after your stint with the national team and you started riding for peanut butter and co eventually, which was like one of the top women's teams in the U S with Kristen Armstrong and amazing riders like that. And then you got picked up by specialized Lululemon, which was HTC high road. I, want to hear about your experience going from pretty much top professional team in the U S is still like not really, uh, what am I trying to say compared to like a European team, a top European team, a top, top team in the U S is not really on that level. So how was the jump from riding for peanut butter and co to riding for specialized Lululemon? Yeah, it was, I still remember the day I got the call from Christy Scrimmager, who used to be the manager of that team. Um, I was actually in Europe with the national team. And when she called and was like, I was floored, to be honest, because that team had always been my dream team. Like I, I looked at HTC as just like, you know, the, they were all my heroes and I followed them constantly online, like as much as you could back then, because I feel yeah. like it's some pre-social media. Pre social media, pre like any of our races ever being televised. Like there was yeah. just so hard to follow women cycling. But I obviously knew of everybody on the team and just thought they were like rock stars. So when I got that opportunity, I like lost my mind. I think I was like jumping up and down and I like jumped in the pool because there was a pool where we were with like my clothes on. I was just like so excited. Um and yeah, it was a definitely a massive transition. Thankfully, the team still kind of ha- raced half in the U.S., half in Europe, because there was still U.S. racing back then. That was before U.S. racing took a nosedive. And <laughs> so we had a lot of great races. So I still got to do a bit of both, but definitely stepping up into the European peloton um, a little bit more full time over there was it was crazy. And um yeah, it was, it was hard. <laughs> it was definitely, it was definitely hard and definitely a, a, an eye-opening experience, but I started to learn so much from, from all my teammates. So it was, it was definitely, um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. I feel like it's so cool that you looked up to that team so much. And then like, I looked up to you so much when I started out, like how full circle it comes kind of. Oh, that's so sweet. That's good. <laughs> 
That's so sweet to hear. I like, you never think anybody looks up to you. So it's always, it warms my heart to think that you did. That's really nice. Thank you, Abby. But a lot of people look up to you, Taylor. I mean, you're at this point, you're one of the longest running Americans in the Peloton and some kind of combination of your, just your uh, determination and maybe your suffer face as well. And also your personality. It means that people really um, are really, really big fans of you. I mean, you have a huge, you've got like a cult following. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. I've always tried to be pretty genuine um, and like be, be my true self, like through social media and stuff and, and show the good as well as the bad, because I think so much, so often we get such a filtered view of what everybody's life is, especially in this sport. And it's hard. Like this, a, it's a hard sport. And um, yeah, hopefully I at least can help people, you know, know that it's okay to be yourself in that kind of a way. I don't know how much I inspire people like um, in terms of, of other ways, but yeah, I, I, yeah, well, that's very nice of you. Thank you. What is it like being kind of like America's sweetheart in a way, like not to stereo stereotypes, that's not a word you, but yeah. like you're, take it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like gorgeous, blonde, fit. Oh. <laughs> and then you're also uh, openly gay on social media with your wife, Olivia. And how, what is that like kind of being, being an American and having that as part of your, who you are? Oh, it's very nice of you to call me America's sweetheart. I like that. <laughs> You're very good for my ego today. Um, <laughs> this is no, what best friends funny. are for. for yeah. Ego stoking. Yeah, it's funny because when I first um, when I first came out, like actually when I met Olivia and we started dating, and it came out pretty publicly pretty quickly, just because there was no hiding how much how in love I was with Olivia. It was pretty obvious, um, which. I mean, I'm grateful for that. I was really grateful I was in a sport where it was okay and it wasn't, there was so many gay women in the Peloton that it didn't seem like such a stretch. Um, But I was more surprised by everybody's reaction to me being outwardly gay. It was like, Mm -hmm. nobody believed me. It was like, I had to keep, I had to keep like proving myself or like proving that I was or proving, I don't know. It was very strange. Like I had so many people be like, are you sure? Or like people still try to set me up with guys. And I just, it just was so weird. The reaction I got in that way. Um, That was a bit strange. Like it wasn't, I mean, I can't say it was hard. I had a pretty, I had a pretty good coming out in cycling and I have an amazing family who's always been so supportive. Um, So I'm, I am very lucky that I haven't faced as much struggle as so many people um, do who just have more barriers to being accepted. So I'm very grateful for that. But I was, I was surprised at people's like, it was like, you couldn't be a tall, curly haired, blonde person and also be gay. I don't know. It was a very strange, it was a strange thing. I think people are pretty sure now that I am, I don't get asked that question anymore. Now that we're having a baby and I'm married and, um yeah but that was that was a bit strange at first but um yeah that's kind of why I wanted to ask you about it because like I feel like people put a they project like an image onto what they think a gay woman is going to be and you maybe don't fit that image in like when you started 
dating Olivia. Maybe now it's completely different because we live in a different world. But a few years ago, you know, there was like a a box that you would fit into and you don't fit into that box. Does that make sense? It's incredible how much things have changed, not just like within cycling, but within the world in terms of like what queerness looks like and what people think when they think of a queer person. And I just think it's so different now because people realize that, you know, it comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not just like a tomboy or, you know, there's not one way or the other way. It's, it's, it is become, yeah, it comes in all shapes and sizes and, and, queer people and gay people, we all like, everybody looks different. And I think it's nice now that it's kind of become more that way because yeah, for a while it was like, well, you don't fit the part. So there's no way, like even within the gay community, sometimes it was a bit like, well, are you sure? <laughs> are you really sure? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm really sure. Um, they just haven't seen your vest collection. <laughs> they have not. They had the vest collection had not started yet. That is a recent. That is the last like three years. I've really come into my own with the vest collection. You've got a really good vest collection. I won't lie. I do. I love a Patagonia bivy. Um, Patagonia, if you're listening and you want to sponsor me with a bivy, I love your bivy bivy vest. I have one in every color. So <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Lila even has one from you. She does, and she's gonna rock it when she gets big enough. Yeah, we put it on her today um, in honor of Patagonia selling their company or yeah. yeah, the for climate for helping with the climate crisis and yeah, that guy. We love Patagonia today and yeah, every day from henceforth. Love me Patagonia. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I if it um if it seems like it would be harder you being an American just because of the political system here. And I I mean, Europeans aren't exactly like more accepting of the LGBTQ plus community, but they, um, I feel like because cycling is such an open place, especially women cycling, well, pretty much only women cycling, but women cycling is like, you can be whoever you want in the women's peloton and no one judges you, but America is a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. I think um, women's sport in general, I think, is really good um, because there's always been so many openly gay athletes like in most female sports. I obviously can't say the same thing about men's side, which is sad. And I really hope it does change. Um, It's changing in certain sports. I think cycling is definitely not one of them, unfortunately, but I, I do hope that continues to change as well because it just changes the whole conception of like what it is to be gay and like what that means. And um, for some reason on the men's side, like that people don't think of a gay man as like an athletic man, but like I said, come in all shapes and sizes. So it's, yeah, it's interesting that way. And yeah, of course, you know, America has so many problems at the moment as I'm sure anybody who has their head above water realizes that that the political climate is a little crazy and yeah, it's definitely rough. And I grew up in an incredibly conservative place. Obviously I grew up in Utah. So that part of my coming out story was not the easiest. Um, And I think because I grew up in such a conservative place, it took me a long time to actually realize I was gay because just wasn't, I knew no outwardly gay people. Like I grew up knowing nobody that was gay or seeing that there was just, 
yeah. So I, it just took me a long time to kind of find myself um, because of that. So yeah, it's interesting kind of what you're around. And um, as soon as I was like around the women's Peloton and, you know, I had teammates, I've always had te- at least one teammate who was gay. Um, it just, it just made me feel like I could be myself, which is is pretty cool. Yeah. I was only ever on one team for one year where the whole team was straight. <laughs> and we thought it was weird. We were like, someone's, someone's not found themselves yet in this group. Yeah. Statistically yeah, speaking, like it's always got one, <laughs> but it's great. I mean, I love how inclusive the women's Peloton is. I feel like it's such a safe space. And yeah, like you said, it's all, all women's sport is really like that. I wonder why, why it is that maybe it's because the, it's kind of like women's sport versus the world in a lot of ways. Oh, totally. Totally. Kind of going from one, one, um, emotional topic to another. I want to talk about the Olympics because you have always wanted to go to the Olympics. I feel like it's a, it's a pretty normal thing for someone from an English speaking country to like fixate on the Olympics because like the, for the U S I mean, especially if, if you're coming from a sport that's like a little bit obscure, the only time people ever see it on TV is the Olympics. So I want to talk about your, your Olympic fight and then finding out that you didn't make the team for Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. I think any kid that grows up in sport dreams about the Olympics and, um, you know, like you said, for a niche sport and in the U S cycling is a niche sport, you know, people either ask, have you done the tour de France, which ha, we didn't used to have one, but now we do. Um, so they asked that and it was always like, well, we don't have one. And then the second question is always like, have you been to the Olympics? So, um, it's, yeah, it was definitely always a dream of mine. I mean, it was a dream of mine when I played soccer. Um, I always watched soccer at the Olympics. Um, and I always want, I mean, the Olympics were in Salt Lake when I, when I was young and I went to a bunch of the winter Olympics and I just was obsessed with all the, I've always been obsessed with the athletes in the Olympics. Um, Did you know that my grandma was one of the torchbearers for the Salt Lake Olympics? What? No yeah. way. The one 103 now, this grandma? Yeah, no, different. The other grandma, she's 90, 91. She just turned she, 91. You have badass grannies. That's impressive. It was cool because, you know, like when the Olympics is building up and they like the torch travels around the whole country. Yeah. So when the torch came to Aspen, my grandma got to run with it for a leg. That's so cool. And they like they give you they give you your own torch. So like she just has an Olympic torch now. That is really cool. Sitting in her closet. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Impressive. She's cool. Anyway, back to you. Super cool. Um, yeah, so I, of course I dreamt of it as a kid forever and ever and ever. And, um, I knew that like, I knew that the 2016 Olympics were not, um, I knew I wasn't quite at that level. There were so many Americans that were so good at that time. And, um, of course I still dreamed of it, but I knew it was a long shot, but I always thought, okay, 2020 is going to be, um, I really think given the trajectory I was going in, I thought it was really possible. And it was something I was really, I mean, I thought about it every single day in training, like anytime intervals were hard or anytime I was in a race and I just wanted, you know, you have those moments where everything's so hard and you want to give up. It was always the thought in my head was like, you're doing this so that you can get to this goal. So yeah, it was very much in my mind. And I kind of feel like I started out the, the kind of when the Olympic selection period started, I kind of started well and I, 
um, had been kind of performing in 2019 and then early 2020 at the Australian races, I had some pretty good results and my form was really, really good. And then obviously COVID happened and a lot happened. Um, and it's kind of funny talking, going into a little bit of the, um, iliac artery stuff. Like I, the last time I remember actually feeling good and feeling like myself was, um, in January of 2020, when we were, um, in Australia doing those races and Mm -hmm. I was pretty instrumental in in Ruth winning the tour down under. And then I got fourth at Cadell's cause I messed up the sprint. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I felt amazing. I remember. And that's the last time I can remember feeling like my true self on the bike. And then, um, COVID and everything happened and also just like a slow decline in my form and kind of the mystery around that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of where everything kind of started to fall apart. So how did you cope with, with not making the Olympic team? Yeah, it was difficult because I did feel like going into it, things had been so hard and so complicated and so confusing with them changing the year. And then the criteria was kind of all over the place and um, the athletes were all over the place. And I didn't know like which period of time they were kind of going off of. It was very difficult to know kind of like Mm -hmm. if they were going off of the original time period of when we were supposed to be good or if they going off the last few months, like it was very, it was all very obscure and not objective and kind of confusing. So I didn't really, I mean, I had a gut feeling I wasn't going to get chosen um, for various reasons that I won't go into because we don't need to talk about those things. But um, I kind of had a gut feeling, but you always have a hope like in the back back of your head, like you always have that little, and I am such an optimistic person. I am optimistic to a fault. Like I just always think things are going to be okay. And um, so really until that call, I hadn't fully given up hope. Um, and I'll never forget the call. Like I had just finished a ride and I was sitting on my porch and, um, yeah, I got the call and pretty much heard the worst thing and then did a bunch of crying. And my, it was Olivia had actually left that morning to go to, um, unbound. So I was alone. So that part was also rough. Um, they were supposed to announce it like three days earlier and she would have been there. Um, but they kept putting it off because somebody was arbitrating or something. So it was delayed by three or four days, the actual like time that they called us. Did you ever think about arbitrating? Like a very popular thing in America. Yeah. I had always told myself that no matter what, no matter how much I thought I deserved it, that I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't want to take away somebody else's dream. I mean, it's, it's everybody's dream to do that. And even if I thought that I had gotten kind of the wrong, even if it was the wrong choice, if I arbitrated and I won, I would be crushing somebody else's dream. And I would have a hard time with that too, as much as I wanted it. Like that would be a difficult thing for me to, to swallow. So I always had told myself and and me and Olivia were on the same page with that. Like I was never going to arbitrate no matter what the decision was. Um, That always also tends to like come back to bite you in the butt arbitrating. It's, I mean, it's so rough. I I was on all of like the documents for the 2016 arbitration and I got to read everything and it's rough. You, they, the athletes go after each other and the lawyers go after the athletes and like it, it's 
it's awful. And I know I didn't want to be a part of that either. I mean, the sport is hard enough and that just seemed just brutal. So yeah, it was, it was not fun. My dad flew out um, to, to California to hang out with me for a couple of days. Cause he didn't want me to be by myself, uh, which was really sweet. Um, so I did get to spend some nice, a nice few days with my dad and just kind of hang out. And uh, it took a really long time though, for me to kind of come to terms with the fact that like that dream was over. So um, I probably still haven't totally um, come to terms with it. I had like a, with my sports psych, I did this thing where like you write down like tough emotions or like resentments or something on a rock. And like, you like take them to the top of a mountain and you think about it and then you throw the rock and, um, so I did that with many things. And the Olympics is one of the last rocks that I like let go of and like threw off of some mountain somewhere in Girona. Um, and that did actually help. But that, I mean, that was way later. That was like a year and a half, I think, after <laughs> it was a long, long time after the Olympics. So um, it took it took some time to kind of get over to get over that. And I still have a hard time, like, to be honest, I feel bad. Like sometimes when people talk about the Olympics. I still, I still have a hard time and have to say, can we not talk about that um, right now? Cause it's a bit rough. So yeah, it's still, it's still something I'm processing, but such is life. Yeah. And then I guess you, you found out that you wouldn't be going to the Olympics. You had to finish out the year, which it's not like you could be like, okay, I'm just going to like do things that make me happy. You still had to, I mean, racing your bike still makes you happy, but you couldn't exactly like disconnect. You had to keep showing up. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to even remember the end of that season because it's all such a blur now and everything kind of blurs together. But yeah, definitely finishing out the finishing out the year and kind of keeping that fire is 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 difficult. Um so then you didn't you found out you didn't make the Olympic team, you finished 2021 and 2022 started. And that's where we kind of get into the iliac artery endofibrosis. Yeah. So I, I mean, I had started feeling pretty bad, um, kind of towards the end of 2020 into 2021. I just didn't, I didn't feel like myself for a long time. And I didn't really know why for a long time. I thought, you know, I was overtraining or I was undertraining or I was under fueling. I could not figure it out. I talked to so many doctors. I did a million blood tests because I just, I couldn't produce the power that I normally could. And it was like, it wasn't all of a sudden, it was kind of slowly over time, which made it also kind of harder to figure out what it was because I would have, you know, periods of time where I felt totally fine and I would have a few good races and then, and or a few good training sessions. And then I would have periods of time where I just, could not get out of my own way. And mm-hmm. I had this pain that it very much mimics kind of the pain you have if your legs are just full of lactic acid. Like it's not a ton different um, how it presented in me. So that for a while, I just thought, you know, my legs are burning. Like what is wrong? And it's the kind of burning that doesn't, it doesn't go away when you stop doing the effort. It was very strange. Yeah. Um, but I pushed through it through 2021. I, I, you know, got to the end of the season and, um, I actually felt pretty like, okay. at world, I ended up crashing. So I didn't like, it's not like I had a good performance or anything, but I remember being like, okay, I can be happy enough. Like, and I had some results and 
like that Belgian stage race at the end of 2021. Um, but I always felt like I was just pushing against something that I hadn't been previously. Um, and then I took a big long off season cause I was like, okay, I really want to be really fresh going into 2022. I want to make sure I'm totally rested. Um, so I took six weeks, like totally off the bike, which is way longer than I would normally take, um, in an off season. And when I started training again, I was like, made sure my fueling was super good. I was working with Stacy Sims to like, make sure, you know, I was getting enough carbs in. Cause I was a bit afraid that maybe that was the reason. Cause you know, we never eat enough carbs because cycling is a mind. Yes. I don't yep. know if I can swear, but yeah. You can totally swear. It is. <laughs> so I was trying to be super good in that way and not, you know, deplete myself. And so I started training in the winter and, um, I would have a couple of days where I felt good, but just, it just was never the same. Like I just could not get the power out at team camp. I was always struggling. And normally I'm the person that always rides like the hour or two extra with Ellen. Like I always would just be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stay out with Ellen. Cause Ellen would just ride all day if you let her. And she'd always be like, I'm just going to do an extra, you know, like hour loop at the end of the ride. And I'd always be like, I'm going to join you Ellen. And I found myself being like, no, not going to do it. Not and like the efforts that we did as a team. I was just, like we do motor pacing as a team and like swap off and I was just dying, but I mean, you have to, you got to get through it, but normally I would just be loving it and it would be like the best two weeks ever. And I was just limping through every workout and it just was not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew something was wrong, but I just, I couldn't figure out what it was. And the team doctors didn't, couldn't figure out what it was either. And then, yeah, I did the first race of the season was Valencia and I just was, I was going backwards, like on the flat when it wasn't even that hard. It was the weirdest thing I had ever experienced. And my whole team and, and Ina too, Ina's like, I know you, we race together. I've been your director for three years. This is not you. Like what is wrong with you? And yeah, as Abby knows, because I probably cried to her a million times at lots of coffee dates. I just didn't know what the heck was wrong with me for so long. And it was, it was brutal. Yeah. Cause if there's anything like anybody knows about you from watching the races, you can suffer. <laughs> yeah. Normally I can totally suffer through things, but I couldn't, I couldn't suffer through, I couldn't suffer through anything. I couldn't even, I couldn't even suffer in the group pedo. It was the weirdest thing ever. It was awful. So then how did you go about figuring out that it was the iliac artery? Yeah. I mean, it was a, a lot of process of elimination. Um, I did so many blood tests and so just talked to so many doctors. The team doctors were all baffled. And to be honest, the really frustrating thing was that I had asked many people, including doctors and coaches and everybody, if it could be this iliac artery thing, because I had pretty much ruled out everything else. And everybody was like, no, you feel it in both legs usually it would present in one leg, one leg would go like one foot would go to sleep. You'd feel it in in one leg. So it can't be that. So I just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting off, putting off. And then finally I was like, I know I knew Spratty had just gone through it and I knew Roy had gone through it and and had been like really open about it. So I messaged both of them and I just said, Hey, can I just like ask kind of like what you were feeling? Um, like, how did it feel? Like, what were your sensations when you, when you had this issue? And they wrote back to me. And as soon as both of them have been incredibly kind and open with me, and I'm just so grateful that they were, that they were that way because it helped me so much. 
Um, but as soon as they both kind of described what it felt like and their sensations, I was like, oh my God, that, that is what I have like hundred percent. Um, and Spratty sent me all the stuff that the, the, um, the TCA has done, um, cycling Alliance. They've put together so much information about it. And she sent me this, the, the, it's like a PowerPoint slideshow with tons of information and a bunch of writers that described kind of their experience with iliac artery endofibrosis. And as soon as I read that, I just started crying. I remember I was like, Olivia, you have to read this. Like, this is what I have. Totally. This is, this is God to be what I have. And it was, it was like a wave of relief, to be honest. I mean, I still had to go through the whole getting diagnosed part, which is a whole nother like two hour podcast. I could tell of how horrible it is to try to get diagnosed, but yeah, it was really hearing from other athletes that helped me realize that that's, that's what it was. And then it was just a, a, about getting it diagnosed and kind of going from there. And now you get to be teammates with Freddie again next year. That much must be really exciting. I know. I'm so excited when I heard that. I was so happy. I messaged Aliza because I've been totally out of the team this year, like, because I haven't raced hardly at all since the spring. And so I messaged my teammates all the time, but I messaged Aliza in, like a few months ago and I was like, I'm out of the gossip. Like, tell me like, who's coming to the team? Like any other gossip you have, like her and Audrey, I always go to them for like the hot gossip, mostly Audrey, but Audrey, wasn't Audrey knows all the gossip. Audrey knows everything. Audrey's the best. Um, <laughs> so I asked Aliza and she was like, oh yeah, we have some new teammates coming. And she told me and I was like, oh my gosh, Spratty and Brody. Like I really, I love Brody as well. So I was so excited that both of them were joining the team. And yeah, of course, Spratty, like she's been on this journey with me and she has been always been checking in and been so sweet about just kind of helping me through the whole process. So it's been, mm-hmm. it's been so helpful. Yeah. If there's anybody who knows how to suffer, like you suffer, it's Brody, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. We, 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 we always joke that we suffer in breakaways together. Like when we finally get the breakaway to stick, we're always like, fuck yeah. Like we gotta just <laughs> stick. And then we just both die until we get caught, but sometimes it works out and like, yeah. In hey, Australia, yeah. Just, when we were in the breakaway together. If you just so. keep throwing things at the wall. Something's going to stick eventually eventually yeah that's, that's how that's science i'm pretty sure that's my tactic in cycling just keep trying <laughs> so you've basically had 2022 off the bike i mean you've you did a bunch at the beginning but then you had to take a break to get the surgery and now you're on the comeback so how has it been kind of taking a year off of the sport that you've been competing in for the last 10 years has it been yeah i can't believe it's been 10 years it was a totally eye-opening, crazy experience, to be honest. I mean, we had a little bit of it during COVID when we took some, t- when we like racing shut down and we didn't race for a while, but it, this has been the first time in my life where I've been in like one place. And you've been watching, months, you've been able to watch bike racing, but not be a part of it. Yeah. It's yeah. Which is hard in its own way. Like watching the women's mm-hmm. tour de France was so awesome, but so hard at the same time. Like it was amazing, but so painful at the same time. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't I have missed that. it in the world. Like I wouldn't, yeah, you would totally understand all the I was feelings. like, should I, I was watching the women's tour de France. And I was like, should I make a comeback? I was like, what if I do the Zwift Academy? <laughs> Like, I don't have the numbers to win Zwift Academy. That's not going to happen. I was like, how could I come back? <laughs> oh, yeah. All those feels. All of those feels. Um, yeah, it's been a strange year. But 
You know, to be honest, it's, this is going to sound super weird, but this has all been a total blessing in disguise because my wife, Olivia is pregnant. Um, and she, it's been kind of a difficult pregnancy because the baby has fetal growth restriction, which just means she's really, really small. And she's had to be monitored super closely. Like we go to the hospital twice a week and we've been doing that since week 22 of her pregnancy. So it's been a long um, road. And to be honest, going through this would be so hard uh, if I had been away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of seeing it as a bit of a blessing in disguise that I got to spend um, this whole year uh, just kind of taking care of Olivia and making sure like that the pregnancy was, I mean, not that I can do anything, but at least I can be here to um, support her and that we can be together in that. And yeah, I mean, it's awful to miss a whole year of racing. It's, it's really weird. And it's like, I feel like I'm living a totally different life and I'm so outside of it, even though I stay in good contact with the team, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, but I'm also really grateful that I'm on the team that I'm on because they've been so supportive. I think I, they've supported me through this whole injury and they've never questioned it. And that is, that's, that's pretty huge. And it speaks a lot also to Trek and kind of their support of, of, of their athletes. I think they, they do a really good job um, in that way. So yeah, that was a long way of saying it's been hard, but I'm also been grateful that I could spend this time with Olivia when we're going through something that's pretty hard. How, how has it been kind of coming back after the surgery and kind of working your way back into fitness? It's been weird. Um, it's been really weird. It's, I have never had taken, I mean, I've taken that much time off the bike, but I had never taken that much time with no exercise. (laughs) So it was six weeks where I couldn't exercise at all. Cause usually in the off season, I take two weeks off the bike and then I start running and I run for a month and I, I don't ride, but at least I run and um, move. so at it, least you move there was, was moving uh it was six weeks of absolutely nothing like besides like short slow walks um I completely lost my core muscles because you can't really do anything because it's basically like they cut your gut open um so it was a lot of a lot of PT which shout out to Kat um she is just incredible um she gave me a whole plan you know from like months before the surgery, when we knew the surgery was going to happen, she helped me get strong um, physically before the surgery. And then post-surgery, she's given me like a week by week plan of kind of how to um, get myself back without doing too much too soon, because she has so much experience with the issue. Um, It's pretty incredible to have her. So that's been really helpful. Being on the bike has been weird because they did tell me, you know, you, you would have like a bit of like phantom pain or you might feel it still a bit. So there's a little bit of like, is this, is this the pain or am I just unfit? Um, and of course you get all in your head about it. Um, but to be honest, just getting back on the bike felt amazing because I had never spent so much time away from it. I just felt like a little kid again. And, um, it kind of made to really appreciate it. Definitely. Because before the, before the surgery, I, I had, I had come to kind of hate it. Like every day going training, I just, like I said, I'm super optimistic. So I thought, I always thought, okay, I'm going to go out on the bike and it's going to, it's going to feel better today. I'm going to be today. better. Day is going to be the day. And I literally thought that every single day and it just, you know, 10 minutes down the road, 
and you just feel awful and it's still the same pain. And it's, it just was a total, it was mentally harder than physically. It was the most mentally hard thing I've ever gone through. Um, and so finding the love for the bike again has been, has been pretty cool. It's been pretty special. Um, so even though I'm far from fitness, I'm just happy, happy to be out there and happy to be kind of making steps towards it again. Do you feel like you can set goals for yourself for next year or are you kind of like taking it one step at a time? Yeah, I'm a, I'm definitely a big goal setter. So I, you know, I'm kind of looking to the, I love the racing in Australia and it's finally back this January. So I'm kind of looking to that as like, um, a place where I can just kind of get my feet back in the water and not put too much much expectation on myself but at least it's you know not in the huge european peloton where it's like you get thrown in the deep end right into the classics it's a kind of like a nice easy way to step into the season so i would really like to be in good form there not like obviously i'm not going to be my top form because it's going to take it's going to take some racing to get that back into my legs um for sure um but i just to be honest i just want to have fun and i want to like love the racing again and feel like myself again with the suffer face and, you know, trying over and over and over again to get in the breakaway. Like I'm just looking forward. I'm looking forward to all of that. Um, Cause I did miss that this year and the camaraderie with my teammates, like win, lose, like I miss all of that too. Well, we all miss seeing your suffer face, especially now that there's like <laughs> lengthy live coverage. We'll, we'll be able to see it next year. We'll be able to see so much of it. <laughs> Because normally, I mean, a lot of times in like the big one day races, like my work is so early, no one got to see the pain face as I like led my teammates into a climb or something. But now the coverage is so long. So, hey. Well, I feel like we could keep talking for like ever, but we got a ton of good, good stuff about you in today. And we can always follow up later when you regain the rejoin the Peloton. And once you've kind of, yeah. You're testing out your new arteries. Yeah, testing testing out the new the new the new plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was great. Sorry, I just talked at you for like an hour. <laughs> That's the whole point. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs>